Welcome to the Theology in Practice podcast, a podcast that takes theology and applies it to the everyday life. I'm your host, Anthony Kidd, and I want to thank you for joining me in this week's discussion. Welcome back as we continue in our study of the book of John. We're in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, looking at the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. The big idea here is that Jesus tells Nicodemus that in order to enter the kingdom of God, he must be born again. Being born again is not an aspect of Christianity. It is the essential foundation of Christianity. Your ethnicity, geography, or socio-political status will never merit salvation. All who are found in Christ will be born of the Spirit and of water, from verse 5. We follow the text of Jesus wreaking havoc in the temple with the story of a ruler of the Jews. In this story, Nicodemus the Pharisee comes and questions Jesus about the kingdom of God. In these times, there were two main groups of religious leaders in Jerusalem. The Pharisees were a more conservative group, and this is the group that Nicodemus is identified with. The Pharisees were a group that took the 613 laws of the Pentateuch and created all of the rules and regulations that governed those laws. They were very zealous about the law of God and protecting his statutes given in the law. Though they may have had the best of intentions, this focus on the law led to the severe legalism that the Pharisees are known for. Even though they oftentimes get a bad rap for being legalistic and hypocritical, the Pharisees were also a very respected group among the common people. Throughout most of the Old Testament times, the Pharisees were the party that was in power. However, before Jesus, the Sadducees came into power and were ruling the temple. That was the setting of Jesus coming into the temple and ransacking it. John starts by telling us that Nicodemus was a member of the Pharisee party and was a ruler of the Jews. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were part of a ruling group called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was much like the Senate and the judicial arms of government combined into one ruling group. Because of the popularity of the Pharisees with the people, they used the popularity to negotiate deals with the secular government. One deal that the Pharisees struck with King Herod was to squash any rebellions that arose in Jerusalem. Nicodemus was part of a small faction of Pharisees that were not totally on board with the direction of the temple and their own group of leaders were taking. However, they did not dare rise against the system that they worked in. This fear explains why Nicodemus is described as coming to Jesus by night. Many have thought that Nicodemus was not being bold and just declaring his opposition to what was happening. There needs to be a little grace shown to Nicodemus for even approaching Jesus at all. The reality is that we would not act much differently than Nicodemus did in this situation. This shows us the power and the draw of Jesus. Jesus' power overrode Nicodemus to the point that he had to go and talk with him. Imagine being Nicodemus just a little time earlier and seeing Jesus come into the temple and completely ransack what's going on. Seeing that and also knowing that he has already turned water into wine. The temptation in this passage is to see Nicodemus as the bad guy. Imagine yourself being a commoner and seeing the same thing that Nicodemus does. You see Jesus' anger and you think to yourself, that guy, that is a good guy. Then you turn and see Nicodemus sitting off and observing the same scenario. You would probably think to yourself, see that religious leader, that is a bad guy. We must resist the temptation to label everyone in the story as a good guy or a bad guy. 
The Bible is not about some good guys and some bad guys. The Bible is a story about all bad guys and one good guy. Just because Nicodemus didn't boldly take his stand doesn't mean that God is not working in his heart. Not every person has a bold story to tell. The gradual work of the Spirit can oftentimes happen beneath the surface. This is why we must deal with grace and compassion with those who we encounter. You never know how God is working in their lives. Now let's look at the encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus approaches Jesus to ask him about the signs that he has been doing. Some have said that Nicodemus was patronizing Jesus with this question. I think this would have been a natural question for someone who sees the hypocrisy of his own camp and sees the larger problems plaguing the temple system in his day. From the viewpoint of a Pharisee, seeing signs of God would have been unwelcome but not ruled out of bounds. They would approach with a very hesitant and skeptical attitude. Jesus essentially cuts Nicodemus off when he replies. It reads almost like he didn't even hear the question Nicodemus asked. Jesus immediately launches into what it takes to enter the kingdom of God, even though Nicodemus was asking about the signs that he had been performing. This shows that Jesus, with all knowledge, knows the very intentions of our heart in every question that we ask. The answer Jesus gives confuses Nicodemus. The reality here is that Nicodemus needed his conception of the kingdom of God changed. Nicodemus thought that he was in the kingdom of God because of where he lived and who he was as a Pharisee. Everything Nicodemus believed about the kingdom of God was only a physical representation. Jesus came to show us that the kingdom of God is not of this world. While Nicodemus was focused on the physical and the ethnic, Jesus turned the focus to the spiritual. Nicodemus shows his confusion by asking how he can go back to his mother's womb and be born again. Christians today are very familiar with the phrase, born again. But in this time, this would have been a new teaching. This is probably why Nicodemus was confused by this teaching. Even though Nicodemus doesn't understand, Jesus gives him a further explanation. Each time, Jesus begins his statement with, Truly, truly, I say to you. With this statement, Jesus is asserting his authority over everything that Nicodemus has recognized. Jesus is saying that tradition, ethnicity, location, or sociopolitical status doesn't matter anymore because he is saying to him. Remember, back in chapter 1, when John said that the children of God are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's John 1.13. This statement is from Jesus. This statement from Jesus is reiterating that point. Jesus says here that to be born of God is to be born of water and spirit. Nicodemus provides us for an effective display of discipleship. Though he didn't understand what Jesus was talking about, that didn't stop him from asking questions about something that was unfamiliar to him in an effort to understand it. Part of discipleship is not being afraid to show that you don't understand something. It's okay to admit that you don't understand something strange that the Bible may be teaching. Our growth as Christians comes by wrestling with the mysterious things about God. Don't let pride keep you from falling into the deep mystery of faith. There are no foolish questions in discipleship, only foolish reasons for not asking. Let's single in on Jesus' statement about one must be born of water and spirit. Remember in the story about Jesus' anger in the temple, verse 17 says that disciples were reminded that zeal for your house would consume me. 
This is a direct quote from Psalm 69, 9. The psalmist in Psalm 69 is describing a scene that they are drowning and looking for rescue. As you read through this psalm, notice that there is a fantastic parallel here. Let's hit the high points. In verses 1 through 3, the person is drowning and has become weary. Verses 4 through 8 talk about this person being abandoned by his closest friends, and then you get to verse 8, and they're even being abandoned by their own family. And then in verse 9, we see the reason for this abandonment. Zeal for the house of God consumes him, and the reproach of those who hate God are being pushed onto him. This burden of having reproach pushed onto him is pushing him further and further down into the water. Then you get to verse 14 and 15, and this person is pleading out for rescue from the waters that are coming up and surrounding him. Then we get to verse 21. In verse 21, they ask for a drink, and someone gives them sour wine to drink. The interesting thing here is that all four Gospels record the same interaction of Jesus on the cross. When Jesus asked for a drink, they gave him sour wine. In Psalm 69, the person being described here is the person of Christ. This is the story of Christ dying on the cross. That's not the end, though. In verses 34 through 36, it tells about the inheritance for those who are found to be his servants, those who would believe in his name. The interesting thing about Nicodemus is that when Jesus dies on the cross, there are two people that help remove him from the cross and prepare him for burial. One of these men is Nicodemus. So even though Nicodemus was shy at first, in the end, he declares his boldness for Christ. It is said that Nicodemus brought 70 pounds of spices to prepare Jesus' body for burial. The interesting thing about the 70 pounds was that was a requirement for the burial of a king. Nicodemus was saying to the world, this is my king. Jesus taught Nicodemus that he must forget about the physical nature of his identity and cling to his redemption in the person and work of Christ. Once again, John has confronted us with the very same question. What will you do with Jesus? I want to thank you for joining me for Theology and Practice. Our prayer is that God's Word would penetrate into your heart and continue you on your journey of sanctification as you seek to be more like Christ. 